Would you turn your Bible, please, to Acts chapter 9, the ninth chapter of Acts. Verse 10. You know the story of this uh, chapter and of this man. We studied a little bit about it in Sunday school last Sunday. But I want to lift that one verse out and lay it on our hearts this morning. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. I'm glad that God made fathers out of men who once were boys, who understood the boys' troubles and put up there with their noise. Of course, dad's not good at cooking, meals a family requires, but you ought to taste the flapjacks baked on hiking trips, campfires. Some dads are even smart enough to explain arithmetic and why you'd better lose a game than win with a mean trick. Sometimes dad will kiss a bump, that's only when you're small, and when there's time to play with us, we have a great game of ball. I'm glad that God made fathers out of men who once were boys who remember boys have troubles and need dads to share their joys. My daddy thinks it's nice of me to go to Sunday school, to hear the helpful lessons and learn the golden rule. And if some Sunday morning something else I'd like to do, my dad looks very stern and says, well, I'm surprised at you. So I dress up very neatly and travel all alone while dad hunts up his paper and decides he'll stay at home. Now I've wondered, and I've wondered, yes, time and time again, why Sunday school is so good for boys and not for grown-up men. William A. Smart was a Civil War veteran. He raised his motherless pioneer family on the prairies of the Northwest. The first Sunday of June, 1910 was his birthday. He died nine years later. A grateful daughter, Mrs. Dodd, grateful for her beloved father, conceived the idea of a special day to recognize the value and respect we should have toward all our fathers. She urged all the pastors of Spokane, Washington to honor the fathers on that day. They could not all get their sermons together until the third Sunday and thus the third Sunday of June became the first day designated Father's Day. It has continued ever since. Today, Father's Day is observed in over 60 countries around the world. President Woodrow Wilson gave Father's Day its first official recognition in 1916. In 1924, President Calvin Coolidge urged the observance of Father's Day all over the nation and its possessions and territories. April 24, 1972, President Richard Nixon signed the resolution and issued the first presidential Father's Day proclamation that year. Mrs. Dodd died at age 96, March the 22nd, 1978, leaving behind her a world that has set aside a special day to honor our dads. She was an artist, a poet, a good wife, a good mother, an appreciative daughter, 
and she was not a feminist. Father's Day, 1994. And I want to speak this morning about the man that God will use. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1, Run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in its broad places, if ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth justice, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon her. D.L. Moody went to England with a hungry heart. He attended Spurgeon's Tabernacle. Those who went on the recent Holy Land trip remember the great columns in front of that tabernacle. In the tabernacle, way up in one of the balconies, he was sitting, the place was jammed and packed, and he heard a man named Henry Morehouse say, the world has yet to see what God can do with and in and through a man who is totally yielded to Christ and to the will of God. When the service was over, D.L. Moody left and walked down Elephant Street. And over and over in his mind went those words. And he thought, that preacher said, any man, just any man, the world has yet to see what God can do with any man, not royalty, nobility, the aristocracy, but any man. He had had a poor education. Moody had had to stop school in his early years to help his mother. His daddy had died early and he helped her on the farm until he was about 17. Went into Boston, got a job at a, as a shoe salesman. Later went to Chicago to make a million dollars and God changed the direction of his life and he decided, I wanna win a million people to Christ. And over and over in his mind went those words, any man. And Moody said, by the grace of God, I want to be that man. When he went to heaven in 1899, he left behind a legacy of having won a million people to Jesus Christ and planted the gospel not only in America, but across England and all the English-speaking world and left a legacy and a legend so that even today, nearly a hundred years after his death, the name D.L. Moody is not a strange name across the Christian world. He was a man that gave all he had. One day he preached in a fashionable church in, in uh, Boston. It was a Presbyterian church. Now he was the kind of man, if you'll read his sermons that are unedited, you'll see he knew how to slay the king's English. He would get all the words mixed up. He would pronounce long syllable words in one syllable. He didn't know how to say Joshua, so he said Joshua. And that's the way he talked. And some of the people said, he can't preach in our church. He's not fashionable enough. And when he start, first started preaching, they'd punch each other and snicker. But halfway through the sermon, there came a hushed silence. And they knew God was speaking. And revival came. God has yet to see what God can do 
with a man, any man, who will totally place himself at God's availability. In Acts chapter 9, there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. We don't know anything else about Ananias. This is the only place we read about him in the Bible. He was a man who lived in Damascus. Saul of Tarsus was breathing out threats against the Christian church. He had consented to the death of Stephen and Stephen had said just before he died, I see Jesus. He's standing at the right hand of the Father and as those stones came on Stephen, crushing him to death, he said, Father, don't lay this to their charge. They don't know what they're doing. And Saul of Tarsus heard that. All the way to Damascus, those words went over and over in his mouth, in his mind. I see Jesus. I see Jesus. Ten miles outside that ancient city of Damascus, he heard the voice. He saw a light. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? He said, who are you, sir? I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And then Saul surrendered. He said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? I want you to notice carefully, the Lord didn't tell him what to do. He just said, you go to Damascus and somebody will come and tell you. God always uses human instruments. He doesn't use angels and storms and, and uh, all kinds of things like that. He may get our attention that way, but he uses humans to tell another human about the Lord. In this case, Ananias was that man. We know nothing about him except he was from Damascus. He was somebody who was open to God. And God said, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, speak. Some time ago, I asked some of our people, what do you think are the characteristics of a person whom God would use? They listed several things, faithful, humble, spirit-filled, yielded to God's will, a seeker to serve, dead to self, keep his life in neutral so God can put him in gear. Bob Stevenson told me that. Someone who is already busy, not lazy, teachable, open to directions, one who will take a stand, not ability, but availability. Sidlow Baxter was a man mightily used of God in Australia, Canada, England, and the United States. He wrote a book called Mark These Men. He mentions 13 men that God used. The man who defied Baal, Elijah. The man who bore the brands, Paul. The man who braved the lions, David. The man who routed the aliens, Gideon. The man who helped carry the cross, Simon of Cyrene. The man who rebuilt Jerusalem, Nehemiah. The man who instructed Paul, Ananias. 
And I want us to think about Ananias for a few minutes as we think about the man that God would use. And remember, it's any man. It doesn't matter the family you come from. It doesn't matter the hardships you've had. It doesn't matter the problems you've faced. And incidentally, one of the poorest things about our society today, poverty-stricken, is those counselors that encourage their clientele to blame all their problems on their parents. That's wrong. You say, well, I was abused. You need to forgive them. You cannot go through the rest of your life saying, well, I was abused as a kid. That's the reason I lie and cheat and steal and I'm unfaithful and divorce this and all that kind of thing. Every tub has to sit on its own bottom. And my beloved young people and older people, don't go through life claiming that your problem was your parents. That's wicked for you to say that. There needs to come a time in your life when you take full accountability and come to the Lord and repent and say, Lord, I give myself to thee. You're going to make enough mistakes in life. and You don't want the next generation poking their finger at you and say, it's all your fault that I'm like I am. Everyone has to accept that accountability, responsibility himself. We don't know anything about Ananias' past. But there are three or four things that I want you to notice about him. Number one, his readiness. It says a certain disciple, neither an apostle, nor a great preacher, nor a leader. He was simply an ordinary man. He didn't have all the credentials that some have. He was just a certain disciple. It doesn't tell anything about his past. We don't know anything about his future. The only thing we know about Ananias is that he instructed Saul and baptized him and passes out of the picture. I mentioned to our Sunday school class the other day, how many of you remember the name of the man who won D.L. Moody to the Lord? Everybody knows who Moody was. Very few people remember the name of Ed Kimball, the Sunday school teacher who won him to the Lord. There are two things we need to remember about that. Number one, you may be a nobody, but you can be a somebody if you'll do God's bidding. The world may never remember your name. You may not be in who's who, but you can be a certain disciple who is ready to do the will of God, ready to follow the will of God. God can take a man who seems to have few gifts and use that man to touch continents for Christ if he's willing. Now the touching of continents for Christ may be that God would use you as a preacher. On the other hand, God may call you to be a deacon in a church and stand behind the scenes and encourage the preacher and encourage the people and visit the sick and visit the sorrowing and visit the shut-ins and be faithful at every service. I cannot, the other day in, uh, in Orlando, we had a surprise. I did not know this was happening, but on Wednesday night after the services, someone had arranged for some of our swordsmen from Glendale to meet together at a Shawnee's restaurant. There were 51 people there. 
men and women who had sat where we sit. God had put his hand on them and called them. Several of those men, Steve Playle among them, Jerry Adamson one of them, several of those men came to me privately and said, I want to tell you, I'm so glad Lonnie Cook is here. He meant more to me when I was there at Glendale than I could ever tell you. Some of them said, is Lee Kennedy still going for God? When I was there, Lee was so faithful, he made a deep impression on my life. These are deacons that stand behind the scenes that are faithful and God uses them. Ananias was a man like that. I, won't, I can't mention, I don't have time to mention all the men they mentioned. They mentioned Ben Oates. They, they mentioned several others. And, and, and I said, amen. Amen. Thank God for a certain disciple. A certain disciple. Somebody that the world may never hear about. Your name may not get in the annals. But you're very important because your life is touching somebody else's life because you're faithful. Secondly, I want you to notice Ananias' willingness. God said, go, and he went. Now, he was given a hard assignment. He said, I want you to go and talk to Saul. He's down at a street called Straight. And uh, Ananias said, but now, Lord, he came here to kill Christians. I've heard a whole lot about him. The Lord said, don't be afraid. He's going to be my servant. And I want you to go tell him that. And with fear and trembling, Ananias got up and went. When God says go, don't say no. When God touches your life, don't say no. When God gives you an assignment, accept it. Some years ago, we instituted what we call the shepherding program in our deacon group. Every shut-in, matter of fact, every family in our church is assigned to a deacon. And every shut-in is assigned to a deacon. And when we have deacons meetings, those men report. We ask them to visit those shut-ins at least once a month. Now, if we do that, if you think of having 40 or 50 shut-ins in our church, we have uh, 10 deacons, that would mean 10 into 50 goes what, five times? I mean, five visits a month, that's not very much. What a blessing it is to hear them report. Well, I saw this person, I saw this person, I visited this person and, and give a report. They're going down the valley one by one. Listen, man, when God calls you to be a deacon, he doesn't call you just to have an office or an honor. He calls you to hard work. And if you don't feel like you can do the hard work, don't serve. When God called me to be a preacher, I said, Lord, I can't talk in public and I'm shy and I'm backward and I'm bashful and I don't think I could ever do it. And God said, shame on you. You think I'd call you to do something I wouldn't give you the strength to do. You've got to prepare yourself. It never dawned on me. Between my first and second year in college, I wanted to quit because I didn't really know what I was going to do. But when I yielded to the will of God 
in my second, in that summer, between the second and, and third, between the first and second year in August of 1949, I went forward in a service and yielded my life to the Lord of God. It never dawned on me after that to quit college. And when I got out of college, it never dawned on me not to go on to the seminary because I needed it. I never once thought, well, boy, I'm sufficient. I know how I can go out and preach the world, win the world to Christ. I couldn't do it. I needed it. And so I tried to prepare myself. I still try to prepare myself. And I still day by day get down on my knees and say, Lord, I'm not adequate. I need you and your help. I need your prayers. Every man that's called to be a deacon, every man's called to be a preacher, every man, young man that's called to be a Christian, every woman that's called to be a Christian, you can't enter into it on your own steam and strength and say, I'm sufficient, I can do it. We have to stay on our knees before God. Ask for the fullness of the Holy Spirit to give us wisdom. Ask him to arrange our schedule so we'll take the time. We do not have it. Everybody is busy. You don't have time to be holy. You have to take time to be holy. You don't have time to go visit the sick and the shut-ins and the sorrowing and the lost. We have to take that time, steal it from something else. It has to do with our priorities. God will make this a great church on the basis of great men who rise to the occasion and say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And I'll do it Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and all the other days of the week. Ananias was a man like that, willing. God said, go, and he said, I'll go. He was obedient to the time and the place and the result. I want you to notice thirdly, his faithfulness. He was faithful in Christian love. He went over to Paul, Saul. Notice verse 15 of chapter 9 of Acts. The Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said, Brother Saul, you think of that. Never saw him before in his life. Knew he'd come to kill Christians. He never said, Brother Saul. He reached out in Christian love, faithful in Christian love, faithful in Christian loyalty, faithfulness in Christian humility. He represented Jesus, not himself. He didn't come and flout his own personality and talk about how good he was and how many churches he had joined and all that. He just went as a bankrupt filled with God's Holy Spirit and said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight and arose and was baptized. And when he received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul certain days, then was Saul certain days with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately, verse 20, he preached Christ. He preached Christ. Not only his readiness, his willingness, his faithfulness, but last of all, his faith. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. We can't trust ourselves. We can't trust our background, our family 
heritage and lineage and coats of arms and all that. We have to cast ourselves upon Jesus. Now the only way you and I will ever make a mark in this world for God is through Jesus Christ. In the story today in the lesson, we read about Cornelius. He was a devout man. He was morally good. He was sincere. He was earnest. He was honest. He prayed. He had visions, but he was lost. And God said, Cornelius, you send for a man named Simon. He'll show you what to do. And when Simon Peter came, he preached about Jesus. And Cornelius, with a humble heart, opened his heart and received Jesus. That's what Saul did. He received Jesus. And God changed him. And Saul became the great missionary Paul, touching the continents and the isles of the sea for the Lord Christ. What then wilt thou have me to do? Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The first thing is to yield yourself to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for godly men as exemplified by Ananias. We pray that in this place today there will be somebody who would say, I want to accept that kind of challenge. I want to be the kind of man that God can use. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. Have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. Thou art the potter. I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will while I am waiting, yielded and still. Number 325. Turn to that page and then look at me after you've found it a moment. 325. The invitation is very simple. I wonder if there's somebody here today who would say, I want God to use me. You may say, well, I, I've said that before. Well, if you mean it, say it again. You've been married 30 years. Your wife says, honey, you don't ever say, I love you. Well, you say, I told you that when I got married 30 years ago. Expect me to say it every day? She says, yes, every day. So does the Lord. Lord, use me. Lord, use me. Yesterday's commitment doesn't do for today. Now you may be able to settle that right where you stand. You might be able to stand right there and say, Lord, use me. God may exercise your heart to say you need to make that public or you need to go at the altar and kneel and pray. There needs to be some changes. You do what God tells you to do. If you've never been saved, I want to urge you to come to Jesus this morning and trust him as your Lord and Savior. God will enable you and he'll help you. Will you do it as we sing? Do what God's Holy Spirit says to do.